0: motels the resorts the guides to give us a better idea of where people are going what they're doing what they're finding outdoors well pat what's cooking outdoors this week
1: thank you doug activity remains light throughout north dakota but anglers getting on the water on devil's lake wind and weather permitting that is are still finding some eye success try working wind blown shorelines or jigging around the bridges and those walleye that are being taken are pretty nice size Also try Ashtabula Crossing on Lake Ashtabula for walleye. Heading west, the Missouri River remains quiet with its lower-than-normal fall river levels. There aren't many anglers out on the tailrace below Garrison Dam either, but those going continue finding catfish success, and you might find an occasional walleye as well. The east end of Lake Sakakui is pretty quiet too, but there is some walleye activity around Douglas Bay on the north shore and Beulah and Beaver Bays on the south side. The Van Hook arm in the midsection is also producing some walleye for the limited number of anglers that are out. While it's the time of the year when the focus is definitely more so on hunting, last Monday's wind and more seasonal weather also curtailed activity. From the hunting perspective, that weather should continue bringing increasing bird movement. Look for pockets of waterfall across east-central North Dakota, but hunting pressure moved many local birds out. There's continued fair-to-good waterfall success around the Devil's Lake area, with snow geese moving into northeast North Dakota. However, there wasn't much movement early in the week in areas south of Garrison Dam along the river, but good snow goose numbers were along areas east of the Missouri River system In Central North Dakota. Look for nice duck numbers as well with fair numbers in North Central North Dakota.
0: Appreciate that report. That is Pat Stockdale, and she is an award-winning outdoors communicator. Again, read her work in Dakota Country Magazine and various other publications across the Midwest. Right now, it's time to get you that podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. You hear Brewer and Agri gone outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Not everybody can listen then. And not everybody can check out their podcast. So here is a podcast extra
2: from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. On this segment, we're going to run out to the Detroit Lakes area in western Minnesota, chat with Nathan Olson. He is the Detroit Lakes area fisheries supervisor. And Nate, it's been a long time since we have you on. I think last time we had you on, you were an invasive species specialist.
3: Oh, my gosh. Has it really been that long? It has been that long. It's been many years, many years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
2: So it's nice to have you back. Um, As the Detroit Lakes Area Fishery Supervisor with, you know, with your your location close to the FM area, uh, a lot of our listeners fish the lakes that you're in charge of. What have you been doing yep. this summer? I, you know, summertime's extremely busy for you guys, as is wintertime, but what are, what have you guys been up to this summer?
3: Yeah, this last summer was probably one of our, our more busy summers for um, our standard lake survey. So uh, in case uh, people don't know, we do have uh, sort of a, a rotational schedule that we try to get to lakes at least every five years, you know, some of them it might be every, you know, seven or eight years. Some we actually do every year it just depends on kind of what's going on with the fishery for the lake. Um, but, uh, basically there's a standard survey protocol that we initiate, um, on these lakes, usually using trap nets and gill nets, um, with the main goal of just trying to do a check-in on the fish population and see what's going on. And plus on the bigger scale, uh, some of that data is used on a statewide basis, you know, to, look at statewide rags or just to kind of see if there's any trends in some of those fisheries data uh, that's going on. And so uh, this last summer, we got to uh, at least 18 different lakes. And so some weeks, you know, I had my staff were out on three different lakes in a, in a given week. So we were running a gun and gunning pretty, pretty heavy just on, on trying to collect uh, standard fisheries data.
0: You know, and I'm sure that's not all that's, uh, you know, encompassing in your portfolio, Nathan. And Thank you and and kudos to you and your crew for doing a great job. Uh, uh you know, speaking for Scott as well, we fish these lakes so do our listeners and uh it's a whole lot of fun. Here's a question I have. You know, knowing your your history uh, being an uh, invasive species expert uh in the past and now moving into your role here as fisheries supervisor, have you I mean what what impacts have you seen with uh more and more lakes actually being infested with zebra mussels. Is it is it detrimental to the fisheries or is it is it just changing them?
3: Um, I think, well, for sure, there's, there's changing the, changes that are happening. Um, unfortunately, it's not really cut and dry. You know, if we, we kind of look just in our area here alone, you know, if I, I don't manage Pelican Lake, but it's, you know, right in our it's really close to us, you know, and the same anglers that are, that are fishing, you know, up in Becker County are also fishing Otter Tail County and Pelican and stuff. And if you look at Pelican Lake that has had zebra mussels since 2009, uh, it's really hard to see if there's any issues with the fishery. It's actually doing really great. You know, it's, you know, had some really great walleye catches, um, you know, panfish are really good. Uh, I hate to say that the muskie fishing is still existent, but it is there and it's, and it's doing really well too. Um, But then if you contrast that with uh, Big Cormorant Lake, which is just to the north, we have seen some changes happening there that we're trying to kind of wrap our heads around and and gather some more data on. And uh, unfortunately, we really can't say whether it's zebra mussels. You know, zebra mussels were found in 2015 in Big Cormorant, and there may have been some changes already happening with with the, you know, primarily the walleye population there. But, uh, you know, beginning in somewhere around that 2014, 2017 um, time frame, we have seen the, our gill net catches on walleyes on big cormorants start to decline, and we really haven't seen a great year class of, um, of young walleyes being produced naturally, you know, probably since like 2015. So, um, you know, we're still trying to decide or try to get some some research to see if that has something to do with the zebra mussels that are there, um, but the jury's kind of still out there. Um, there is some bigger, you know, some more statewide research that has suggested with, with zebra mussels and for sure spiny water fleas combined you can see some lower growth rates in those young walleyes at a young age. Um, we necessarily haven't been able to tease that out in some of our lakes here yet. And then finally, just some other research that's been coming out with walleyes is zebra mussels kind of move a lot of the food web from the middle of the water, uh, so to speak, more towards the littoral zone or towards, you know, the water that's less than 15 feet deep. Um there's seen some increase in mercury concentrations in fish, and so there's some concerns about people that are consuming those fish in zebra mussel lakes, they might be consuming some more additional mercury just the way that the zebra mussels kind of redirect the energy flow in some of those water bodies. So it's really not a cut-and-dry answer, guys, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> we're definitely still trying to track and, and figure out what's going on in some of these lakes.
2: You know, that's really interesting about the mercury. I've never heard that before, and it kind of makes sense, but it's definitely something we want to keep an eye on. So you, you talk about how... Um, it sounds like, according to you, according to what you're finding, Big Cormorant Lake isn't doing as well as it was before zebra mussels.
3: We just had. No, our, I mean we've. Had, yep. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: We just had our FM walleyes uh, event out there, catch photo release event, and there was a lot of big weights, weighed, uh, Not just a couple. You know that there was a lot of really nice fish caught. It seems like there's a lot of fish in that lower 20 range you know the 18 uh, 22 inch fish is is that similar to what you've seen in your when you guys surveyed the lake this summer was there a shortage of small fish but quite a few of the bigger ones or what did you find in your survey
3: yeah i mean that is yeah it kind of lines up really well with what we saw in our survey you know uh we saw a lot of fish that are um that are that are in that you know, higher teens into that 20 inch range. And, um, and it totally makes sense with what we've seen in the past, you know, without, you know, Big Cormorant Lake, you know, just for some background info on people, you know, we haven't stocked Big Cormorant Lake since the 1980s. So this has been a self-sustaining walleye population for, for a long time. And, um, but, you know, just recently we're not seeing this lake be able to produce the fish that it has in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you, if you look at our data, you know, pre- before 2011, this thing was like producing pretty consistent year classes on its own, and then there was this giant year class that was produced in 2011. There was another one that was pretty good in 2012, and then after that, it's been really just hit or miss. You know, with most of the years almost seeing nothing, um, and and so it was, we were kind of expecting our gill nets, uh, to show what you guys saw in your tournament that, yeah, there's big fish out there, but man, it's just really hard to see, you know, some of these smaller, like 13 inch to 14 inch fish. Yep. Um, uh, so kind of in response to that, you know, uh, we decided, well, for first off, we decided to start surveying every year to make sure that we weren't missing something. Cause you know, there are weird weather patterns, you know, that can happen during a survey week or something like that that can kind of alter some of your results. And so we wanted to make sure that we were seeing, you know, what we're seeing was, was truly a lower population abundance. And uh, so we started a survey annually since 2017. And then, um, and then on top of that, uh, we've also decided to, to do some stockings, to do some fry stocking uh, the last couple of years. Um, and we're also marking those fry. So we've got a chemical called oxytetracycline or OTC that you can immerse these fry in and it leaves a mark within a bone in their head. And then when we go back and sample those fish, we can determine whether those fish were naturally reproduced or if they were produced by our you know, they were produced by our stocking event. And so what that allows us to do is just see, hey, are we getting anything that's surviving out there? Uh, but what it also allows us to do is we can kind of uh, determine what is the right number of fry that this lake needs in order to keep producing on its own and to keep being successful and, and be a really great walleye fishery. Um, it's really similar, I guess, to what we've done on Leech Lake, on Red Lake, you know, as part of those kind of Um, uh, recovery efforts and I'm not really saying that big cormorants you know like in this huge state of decline I mean it it still has 10 to 15 walleys per gill net which is a really great number Um, but it definitely is not performing the way it has been in the past you know so we're trying to gather all this data and try to figure out kind of what's going on so that we can help make better decisions down the road and I mean, it might be that potentially we need to augment this fishery with fry stocking every once in a while just to keep it going and to yeah. keep it a great lake. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens in the future here.
2: You know, that's all super interesting. You know, Nate, I got like three more questions I want to ask you, but we're out of time. So, um. No, no way. <laughs> yeah, our, our time's over already. I'm sorry. Um. Which is good, you know, because that, that was all super awesome information. If people want to find out more information about their lake, if they have a lake in Becker County, their their cabin's on or they fish a lot, um, I'm assuming they can go to the DNR website and they can get that information.
3: Yep. I mean, Lake Finder, I mean, all these standard survey data, I mean, that's the biggest reason that we're doing it. It's all on Lake Finder. Usually what all the surveys we do that summer, we try to get them up before the, the next uh, fishing opener the next year. Uh, but we have a lot of preliminary reports that we can share with people. Um, yeah. So they can get a hold of our office. They can call 218-846-8290 um, or just, you know, look up the DNR Lake finder website and, pump you know put in your lake and your dow number or whatever and it's got all sorts of data there for people too
2: awesome this is nathan olson detroit lakes area Fisheries supervisor thanks for joining us on gone
0: outdoors well that is going to wrap things up for this weekend edition of outdoors live appreciate the podcast extra being made available by scotty brewer and kyle agri Uh, make sure you check out them saturday mornings at 11 o'clock and then also you can check out their podcast at kfgo.com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the mighty 790 KFGO and FM 104.7. Till next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.